All right. Um, Pastor Varden is on vacation this week, so I have the great pleasure of speaking to you this morning. And uh, just out of curiosity, raise your hand if, you've, if you use TiVo. You use TiVo. No one in this room? Okay, one person. Thank you, because this illustration is going to really stink if you no one uses TiVo. <laughs> wow, I should have used a different illustration. Do you, raise your hand if you know what TiVo is. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay. So TiVo, in case you're not aware, TiVo is a device that allows you to record. Um, let's say you're at work or you're going out at night and you, don't have, you can't be home to watch a TV, your favorite TV show or whatever. You can record that show digitally and then come home. And whenever you have a free moment, whenever you have a free half hour, hour, however long the show is, you can watch the show. And so um, it saves you time. You can go do whatever you want. Long gone are the times when you have to be home to watch a show, heaven forbid. Um, yeah, you can, now we have things like Netflix and Hulu where you can go on and um, watch a show whenever you want. Um, but if you use TiVo a lot, um, here's something, um, and, and maybe that one person that uses TiVo in the room is going to understand this. The rest of you are just going to have to believe, believe what I'm saying is true. I, I could have just lied to you and you wouldn't even have known. I could have just made up a fake TiVo illustration and no one would have known the difference because you don't use it. But if you use TiVo, here's the thing. If you've ever recorded anything and you've ever, not, now imagine if you've recorded something and you don't want to know anything about it. Especially think about if you're recording the season finale of your favorite TV show. You're, you, you work late that night or something, so you have to record that, that final season finale of the show. And um, the, the last thing you ever want to do is wake up the next morning and go onto any social network on, on the internet because everyone's going to be talking about it. You've got to turn off your cell phone. You've got to leave your phone off the hook. You've got to do everything you can possibly do to remove yourself from, the, from, from anyone's listening ear because you don't want anyone to say anything about what happened the next day, so then it wrecks it for you. There's no point in watching it if you already know what's going to happen. And so, um, I, I, you know, especially if it's um, a game of your favorite sports team, I want you to consider if you're a big, huge sports fan and um, you record the big game of your favorite sports team playing of Super Bowl, Stanley Cup, whatever it is that you, whatever uh, sport that's your, your cup of tea, um, you better turn your phone off you better tell the electric company to turn the power off in your house for 24 hours and you better shut yourself out. You better crawl in a cave because you know your friends are going to blow up your phone the next day. If, if your team loses, you know they're going to razz you. You know they're going to call you. They're going to send you emails. They're going to send you pictures, little things of your team getting, getting beaten. Um, I'm a Dolphins fan, so whenever the Dolphins lose, um, you know, Pastor Barden sends me a text with Squish the Fish or something stupid like that and, and then I send him my resignation paper and he takes it back. But, um, so, so it, it, but you know that's going to happen. And then even if they win, it's the same thing because all your friends are going to be sending you, hey, yay, celebration, we won, yay, like they're on the team, we, it's not your team. But anyway, um, sport, Sports Center, you can't turn on Sports Center because they're going to be playing the, re, the, preview, the, the, uh, the uh, replays over and over and over and over again. You cannot um, do anything that could jeopardize you knowing what happened in the game. Um, Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter are filled with videos and stats and comments comments and tweets. Uh, there's no way to get around it. So basically, if you've TiVo'd something and you've recorded it and you want to see it at another time, um, life gets pretty hard because you've got to remove yourself. You've got to walk into work and basically go, la, 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 don't know, didn't watch it, can't hear you, la, 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 don't know, don't talk to me about it. That's what you got to do because everyone, when you get to work, is going to be talking about the big cool thing that happened the night before that you couldn't watch yet. So 
I want you to go on an imaginary journey with me for a minute, a TiVo journey. And uh, now, if you're a basket, raise your hand if you're a basketball fan. Basketball fans in the room? Okay, a couple of you. Good job. All right, we have the NCAA Tournament Championships uh, that's dubbed March Madness um, coming to a close soon on April 6th. Uh, let's fast forward to April 6th when the championship game takes place. That's then the championship, the NCAA championship is going to take place. And let's say, let's fast forward to that date. Let's say you watch the whole game. You're in your living room. You watch the game. You're really excited. The team you were hoping for would win wins. Um, however, one of your friends has to work that night, and so they TiVo it. So they got to watch it later. Now, imagine your friend calls you the next day and says, hey, man, uh, I would love for you to come over and watch the game with me. I know you've seen it, but I haven't. I just don't want to watch it all by myself. Can you come over and watch the game with me? And you're like, that seems kind of, I've already seen it, but all right, I guess I'll come over. He throws in pizza and wings, and you're like, all right, deal. Got it. Good. Free pizza and wings. I'll go to anything. So um, the, scene, the scene could be pla- placed in like a Will Ferrell movie as it unfolds. You know, this is, this is going to be pretty comedic because every basket, every steal, um, every foul, nothing phases you. You're just watching it, and you're just like, yep, I remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was crazy. And then you're almost going to be like, oh, I can't believe he makes, uh, I can't tell you that. Uh. The whole time, you're just like, I just wish I could just tell you what happens and we could save ourselves the the hour and a half to two hours of watching this thing. Um, But but imagine you're watching your friend. Now imagine you're watching your friend and he is at the edge of his seat. He's like, what's going to happen? Everything that happens, he's like, oh, he's screaming at the TV. Come on, idiot, do it. And you're like, calm down. I already know what's happening. Just ask me. I'll tell you all. I'll tell you everything. You're you're more entertained by it. You just turn your chair and you just watch him. Because he's more, he's more entertaining than the game. He's freaking out. He's sweating bullets. He's can't, he can't handle it. Um, you, you're joyful through the entire thing. You know your team's going to win. You know what's going to happen. You, you, you've, you've already brought your confetti. You're going to throw it in the air at the end of the game because you already know what's going to happen. You're going to throw it in his face. And, uh, but however, when something seemingly goes wrong for your team, there's a team, you're, they lose possession, the bad call, an injured star player, doesn't even phase you. Everything that happens doesn't make a lick of difference in your brain because you already know what's going to happen. I want you to kind of think of that as we work through our, our, um, our thing here. Your team, no matter what, will be victorious. Your team, no matter what, will be victorious. Nothing's going to come as a surprise to you. So what does TiVo have with the end of time? Well, this might be a good time to buckle your seatbelts. Uh, there has been a lot of ink that's been used to discuss and speculate what the end of the world will look like. Um, there's been over 300 prophecies um, since Jesus has walked the earth. There have been 300, over 300 times that somebody or a group of people have um, tried to uh, predict when the end of the world was going to happen. They cre- back in, remember back a few years, they created that whole movie 2012 about the end of the world with the Incans and everything else and, and uh, the, the, everything was going to come to an end and boom, everything was going to blow up all for some reason and we're still here. So here's what I want you to know. Jesus himself said, you will not know the day or the hour. You will not know. There is no way to figure you, no one from now until the end of time, nobody has or will ever get, receive, or obtain special knowledge about when it's going to happen. And if they do, you just say you're lying. You don't, you don't really know that because Jesus himself, who, who is the son of God told us you won't know. So if somebody's comes along and says, well, I'm smarter than the son of God, probably don't want to listen to him. They're probably off their rocker. But however, there's been 300 predictions, over 300 predictions um, that have somehow, you know, they've all ended humiliation. At this point, if I even remotely thought that that would, that I even had a remote chance that I might be right, I'd be too scared to even tell people 
because there's already been so many times that people have been wrong and humiliated. I wouldn't want to take that chance. Hey, guys, it's going to end on someday. It's about as far as I'm going with that because that's as, that's as sure as I am. And so um, now when you look at the book of Revelation, that's what we're going to look at today. This book is a, is a significantly unique book. Its writing style is completely different than any other book in the Bible. Um, reading it can definitely cause some confusion. There's a lot of symbolism that's downright weird at times. Uh, we don't understand it. It's, it's, out, it's out of our world. It's out of our context. It's out of our comfort zone. There's visions that the author has um, that are really hard to grasp, even to really get an understanding of. And so it's just a challenging book to get a handle on. So I want to read you a fantastic description of the, for the purpose of the book of Revelation so that when and if you ever read it, when you read it, I want you to know exactly what you're supposed to be getting from it so we don't get confused and, uh, and, and frustrated with the details that, that maybe are, are very hard to understand. So let me just read this to you. The book of Revelation had, uh, at its, had its origin in a time of crisis, but it remains valid and meaningful for Christians of all time. So it was written at a time when there was crisis happening, persecution. The church was being um, persecuted. It wasn't being, uh, it, it was being tortured. People were being tortured for their faith. And much like the same we have today in many areas of our world. Uh, in the face of apparently insuperable evil, either from within or from without, all Christians are called to trust in Jesus's promise of behold, I am with you always until the end of the age, which is Matthew 28, 20. Uh, those who remain steadfast in their faith and confidence in the risen Lord need have no fear. Suffering, persecution, even death by martyrdom, though remaining impenetrable mysteries of evil, do not compromise an absurd dead end. No matter what adversity or sacrifice Christians may endure, they will in the end triumph over Satan and his forces because of their fidelity to Christ the victor. This is the enduring message of the book. It is a message of hope and consolation and challenge for all who dare to believe. That is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book of hope. The book of Revelation is a book that we can stand on and say, look at what happens at the end. It's like someone TiVoed the end of time and we get to watch it. We win. We win. At the end of time, those that are in Christ, those that are following Christ, we win. So it's like knowing the outcome of something before it happens and resting in that knowledge. Just like if you were to TiVo that game and your friend invites you over, you're not, there's, you're not worried at all. There's nothing that phases you. Everything that happens, you're just like, yeah, but I already know what happens. So it doesn't bother me. So as you live your life, what the book of Revelation is set out to do is to help you live this life, not in fear, but in rest, because you know what's going to happen. In Christ, we win. In Christ, we win. The book of Revelation provides confidence in the lives of those who follow Jesus so that we can continue chasing after Jesus even when facing seemingly insurmountable odds. In other words, we win. We may suffer, but in Christ, we win. We may experience trials, but in Christ, we win. We may be mocked or martyred for our faith, but in Christ, we win. There are four words. If you're a note taker, I want you to remember today, and they are in Christ we win. There are four words that I want you to walk away with today. When you're driving home, there's something I want you to remember. And it's not that TV show that you forgot to TiVo. It is, in Christ, we win. In Christ, we win. 
Now, John, uh, the author of Revelation, he's the same guy who wrote the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the beginning of the, of the New Testament. It's, John is the same author. He is um, on the island of Patmos, and God gives him a glimpse of all these crazy things, and he writes them down, and God calls him to write them down in this book that we get to see. Um, it's very futuristic. Um, it's think, think of like in the Old Testament when people were writing about the first coming of Jesus and the, all the things that people were anticipating and probably, and even they mistook what they were writing because people were expecting a Messiah that would be a militant Messiah, more of a government kind of smashing Messiah, someone that would release them from the bondage of the earthly powers, but he came to release people from the eternal and spiritual powers that held captive over them. And so um, I think in the same way, um, we can... We, we should never really say, I got a good handle on everything that it's going to look like at the end of time. That Jesus is going to come back. He is going to come back on a horse. He's going to come out of heaven. He's going to, he's going to do some uh, crazy stuff, and he's going to bring his people back with him. But let's look at this. Uh, there's a, a glimpse that, that John gets as a pretty significant occasion that he records in the first chapter of Revelation. And it's there we're going to turn. So we're going to look at Revelation 1, 7 through 8. And it says this, it says, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. And the, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the almighty one. Now I want you to kind of catch something there. It says, and everyone will see him. Everyone's gonna, he is not gonna come back in some some desolate cave somewhere out somewhere where no one's going to know who he is and he's going to have to send pamphlets out to tell everyone about it. He is going to triumphantly come from the sky and everyone's going to see him. Everyone. People are going to be rushing out of their homes going, what is happening? What is going? It's not going to be a secretive event. It is going to be something that everyone sees and everyone knows is happening. It even, and then there's an interesting part where it says, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. They won't, that, that, that's, it's an interesting way to say that, but what that's really saying is everyone on the planet that had rejected the claims of Jesus, that everyone on the planet that was not following Jesus would all of a sudden, at one moment, that, 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 that heaviness of their heart would go, oh boy, we were wrong. This is not good. All of their, all of every, every, everything that anyone ever said against the, the saving uh, knowledge of Jesus, any, anything that anyone came against the, the, the church of Christ that will all of a sudden come crashing down and they will mourn his coming because it will, they will have to recognize that they were wrong in their thinking. So there it is, the declaration of declarations. He's coming back. It won't be hidden. Everyone will see him. Those who have rejected him will mourn at his coming, realizing his claims were true. It will literally be terrifying for those that don't belong to him. That is why people of the church, listen to me, that is why God calls us so emphatically to go and tell other people about his coming, about who he is, about his death, about his resurrection, because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come into the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. Because it's going to be a bad day for those that don't belong to him on the day he returns. Now let's skip ahead uh, toward the end of the book. And this is where things start to get really awesome. So Revelation 19, 6 through 8, it says this. It says, Then I heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. 
Praise the Lord, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. All right, guys, there is going to be, when Jesus comes, let me just, let me just share, there is going to be a glorious wedding like you've never seen before in store for all those who belong to Christ. Christ is the husband and the church is the bride. We, the church, those that follow Jesus, those that call his name, those that call him Lord, we are the bride of Christ and he is coming to take us home. Now, if you're a guy in the room, don't let the imagery get, imagery get you off track. I'll, I'll be honest to say that I don't normally think of myself as a bride. Um, I probably don't look that good in a dress. And I'm really sorry for that visual I just gave you. But... <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, but so, so we can't let that get us off track. However, if, let's go with this wedding thing for a minute. If you're married, think back to your wedding day. If you're not married, think ahead to what that might look like for you. Think about, ahead about what you're anticipating on that day. You and all your friends rejoicing over your coming together, a day with countless hours of preparation, some of them arduous, some of them joyous, but all of them worth every minute because of what's happening right then. All of them worth every minute because of what's happening right then at, then at the moment of your public commitment to each other. That's what we're talking about right here. And just to be clear, this whole wedding and Mary to Jesus thing, this language that they use here is outlined throughout the entire Bible. In fact, check out Isaiah 54, 5. It says this, it says, For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. That is so awesome. The creator will be your husband. He is going to take care of you like a husband is supposed to take care of his wife. He is going to protect you like a husband is supposed to protect his wife. He is going to love you like a husband is supposed to love his wife. He is going to give himself up for you just like a husband should give himself up for his wife. Second Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says this, says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with her, with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, what I'd like to spend the rest of our time today looking at is exactly who it is that's coming back for us. I want, I want you to kind of, I want you to get, gain an excitement, a renewed excitement over who this guy Jesus really is, because um, he's coming back for us, his bride. So guys, if we can get past the awkwardness of the imagery, I think we'll see something pretty amazing and our hearts will actually begin to race a little bit faster as we begin to anticipate exactly what's going to happen on that day. And why we can see it as something glorious and something to look forward to and something that we shouldn't let, to, we shouldn't let today take anything away from what's going to happen tomorrow. Today, we can rest because tomorrow we rejoice. Amen? We know the end. We know the end. In Christ, we win. In Christ, we win. So uh, Deuteronomy 31.6 says this in the Old Testament. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. Um, he's talking to an army that's going to be going out, uh, and he will never leave you or forsake you. If you have a Bible and you're actually reading in a physical Bible, or you have an app or something you're using, um, highlight the word never. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you or forsake you. 
There is no condition to that. He will never leave you or forsake you. Matthew 28, 20 says, teach these new disciples. This is Jesus talking. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Underline always. Look at those two words. Those are two words that they tell us don't ever use. (laughs) Never say never. And never say always, right? And here, emphatically, the Bible says he never leaves and never forsakes and he's always with us. Two promises that I think we can rely on. Now, some of you, it's going to get real in a minute because some of you have suffered through horrendous train wrecks of relationships to the point where maybe you've even suffered at the abuse of somebody else. I want you to understand that this is not, that this, that this God, that this husband that we are looking forward to at the day of, um, our, of his coming is unlike any of that. That, that Jesus will never do the things that we see people do on the face of this planet. He never walks away when things get tough. He doesn't leave us because something better comes along. He doesn't look at us in, in, in disappointment and say, man, I wish you were different. You're not like the way I married you. He never says any of that stuff. You know what he says? I'll never leave and I'm always with you. That's what he says. He is the best thing that you could ever give your life to. He calls you to come to him, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That's what he says. I want you to let something sink in, though. Jesus will never do those things. Jesus is is unlike any person on this planet. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make a way for you to belong to him forever, to only walk out when things go bad. But if I can be blunt, and I'll throw myself under the bus, I'm the unfaithful one. I'm the unfaithful one. I cheat We cheat on Jesus every day. There are things that attract our minds and our hearts and our affections and we run after them apart from him and then we come back to him and he's always willing to take us back. There is never an eviction notice. There is never a document telling us that there's going to be a separation now because we've run out of his love. Our minds are captivated by earthly things. Our affections are captivated by the love of our hearts. Yet, yet, Jesus never leaves. Jesus is always with us. Let that sink in for a minute. Let me make it real personal. You cheat on Jesus all the time, yet he remains faithful. He stinking loves us. And if that wasn't enough, additionally, his affections are never diverted from us. Nothing will take his eyes off of us. We are his bride nothing will take his eyes off of us. We are his prize and he will never, ever jeopardize that. I want you to understand this. Jesus is not a one night stand. Jesus is a faithful husband. Jesus is faithful. That's the first thing I want you to understand about who Jesus is. He is faithful forever. Second thing, we're going to look at John 3.16. It's the most famous verse of all of scripture. John 3.16. Many of you could probably, if I asked you to, you could probably recite it for us right now. Uh, it says this, For God loved the world so much that he gave his, only, his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, circle the word or underline the word or highlight the word everyone. Everyone. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He's always with us. And everyone's invited. 
Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you were brought up, what country you live in, what religious background you have, what you've done in your past. Your past has nothing to do with your future in Jesus. Understand this. Everyone is invited. When I was in sixth grade, I had my first girlfriend. Sixth grade. I didn't... If you can even count it as a girlfriend, I don't even know if I knew what dating girlfriends were at sixth grade. However, this is how it all happened. This girl gave me a note and she knew, now I still to this day love candy corn. Anybody, any candy corn lovers in here? Candy corn? Oh, you guys, you guys got to get on the, on the boat. Candy corn is the bomb. Okay. Candy corn and me, that's like my, that's like my, my kryptonite right there. So, um, so she knew this. And so she manipulated me in sixth grade. She knew how to manipulate guys. She gave me a note and she said, if you'll date me, if you'll go out with me, I'll give you a bag of candy corn. I'm like, I don't know what dating is, but I know what candy corn is and I want me some candy corn. So so uh, and not, no lie, no lie, she had the box, check yes or no. <laughs> I have a checkbox yes or no story. So um, I checked yes, not because I wanted to date her, but because I wanted her candy corn. So I checked yes, and the next day she came in with candy corn, and I, I, li- I, I stood there awkwardly. I re- for some reason I remember this because it was a really weird moment, but she gave me the candy corn, she has this big grin on her face, and I, I look at the candy corn, I look at her, <laughs> and I open the candy corn, and I go, thank you. And I walked away. I'm in sixth grade. What do I know? I don't know what I'm doing in sixth grade. So, so I mean, I think officially we're still dating because I don't think we ever broke up. But I, I should really be getting a lot more candy corn, if you ask me. I mean, it's been a long time since I was in sixth grade. Uh, but so I want you to understand that, that as I got my candy corn. I stood there awkwardly. Um, you know, Jesus invites everyone. There is no yes or no. We don't have to ask Jesus, will you, will you care for me? Will you protect me? Are you going to be there for me, Jesus? He's already made it available to you. You don't, you don't have to promise him candy corn. You don't have to promise him anything. You don't have to give him something for him to love you. He's already loved you. You don't have to promise him. You don't, you just need to trust him and give him and live your life in light of your belief in him. And let me, let me also say this. When I got married to my wife, Carrie, when I said yes to Carrie, I said no to every other woman, including the internet. I said yes to her and no to everyone else. A lot of women cried that day. <laughs> but, but, but it is what it is, okay? It is what it is. <laughs> so I'm off limits. I'm off the market. To the dismay of women all over the planet, I am no longer available. Now, that's the same thing with Jesus. Once we give our lives to him, there, he's it. He is the only thing for our eyes, and we are the only thing for his eyes. You don't need to earn Jesus's love. He already offered it. That's number two. You don't have to earn Jesus's love. He's already offered it before you even deserved it. Jesus is no one-night stand. He's a faithful husband, and you don't need to earn his love. He's already offered it. Third, I had a friend, his name was Mike in high school. And when I, my mom, all the way up, and I don't even know how long, she would bag my lunch. She could bring me a bag lunch. I had a friend, uh, John, his mom would bag his lunch and we were bag buddies. And um, after a while, you know, you kind of grow out of that. And we were like, heck no, as long as my mom wants to make my lunch, I'm going to let her. <laughs> if I don't have to do it, I'm good with that. So my friend John would come in and his mom would put little, notes on his lunch, like, have a wonderful Wednesday, have a fantastic Friday. Like, she's so clever. I get nothing. I just get a bagged lunch. But 
Um, this kid, Mike, I would go in and he would inevitably every day, he would pick something out of my lunch bag and he would either eat it, throw it away, hide it, chuck it across the room, something, something like that. And so I, I, I got to the point. Now we were kind of friends, kind of more acquaintances than friends. We, we just knew each other in school. And um, I remember one day he, he, I'm going into school. I said, if he takes something out of my lunch bag, I'm going to clock him. I'm going to punch him right in the face. I don't care. Now, in my defense, I didn't know Jesus then, so it's my defense, so I can do whatever I want at this point in my life. So, so I get to the lunch table, and I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like, you know, Rocky Bell, like I'm waiting, just waiting, you know, like, all right, what are you going to do, Mike? You going to take my lunch? So some time goes by, and inevitably he takes a Moo Town, everyone know a Moo Town snacker? My Moo Town snacker, I had a little crackers and a little cheese with a plastic stick, and you'd scoop the cheese out and spread it on your cracker. So he takes my Moo Town snacker, and he just whips it across the room. Well, showtime, right? I'm like, man, am I going to do this? So I got up and I looked at Mike and he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's like, what are you? I whapped him right in the face. Smashed. He was like, I wish it was in slow motion. He was like, mm. you know, like, and, and he lands on the ground and his feet are, are, over the ta- are over the seat and he's trying to get back up. And I'm like, I can't believe I just did that. I don't know what to do now. Like, that's all I got. I don't know what to do when he comes after me. All I know is to surprise him with a sneak attack of one punch. And, um, but then, uh, uh, thankfully, the, the lunch people came over and grabbed me, grabbed him. We went down to the principal's office. As I'm leaving, my friends at the table are yelling, Rocky, Rocky. <laughs> so as the teacher is dragging me out, I'm like this. And, you know, like, yeah, they're like pulling me out by the throat and so uh, that was back in the day when you used to get 515 detentions, when you, you'd have to stay after school until 515. It was crazy. So um, now here's the deal. He was powerless at that point because I was coming, you know, even when he caught, got back up, you know, whatever was going to happen, he was a little bit smaller than me. So I kind of had weight on my side. I had some strength on my side. Um, now on that day, Mike didn't have as much power as he put off. He looked, he looked cool. He looked tough. He'd throw my stuff around. He Tommy tough guy in the lunchroom, you know, but when push came to shove, I won. And um, that's not the case with Jesus. When Je- uh, if, G- if someone tries to take on Jesus, they lose. If I was to take on Jesus, I lose. Now, read, listen to this. Romans 8, 8 31 through 39. This is, what should get our, this is what should get us all riled up inside. Ready? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us as well, uh, for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ, Jesus, died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or, or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing, circle nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, circle nothing, in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me say it very simply. Jesus is no wannabe tough guy. He is our mighty victor. He is our mighty victor. He never leaves, never forsakes, always is with us. Everyone's invited and nothing can stop him. 
Boom. How do you beat that? You can't. You can't beat that. He is a mighty victor. Now, as a nation, they've arranged, or they've averaged the time um, that the number of hours a couple spends on planning their wedding at about 860. 860 hours a couple will spend planning their wedding. That's just four hours shy, just to put that in perspective, that's four hours shy of 36 full 24-hour days. So 36 full days preparing for one day. That's pretty significant. I looked up an online wedding planning outline just to see all the things that professionals suggest putting on your calendar these days as you prepare for the big day. So here's what they say. This is going to go somewhere, so track with me. Uh, 16 to 9 months before your wedding. Start a wedding folder or binder. Work on your budget. Pick up. I'm just going to rip through these so you can just... So I want you to be exhausted by the end of this because this is what happens in... 860 hours. Start a wedding folder, a binder, work on your budget, pick your wedding party, start the guest list, hire a planner if desired, reserve your date and venues, book your officiant, research photographers, bands, florists, and caterers, throw an engagement party if you wish. Eight months prior, hire the photographer and the videographer, book the entertainment, meet the caterers, purchase a dress, reserve a a block of hotel rooms for out-of-town guests. (laughs) Who would have thunk it? Register for gifts, launch a wedding website. Seven to six months before, select and purchase invitations, start planning a honeymoon, shop for bridesmaids' dresses, meet the officiants, save the, send save the date cards, book a florist, arrange transportation. Arrange transportation seven to six months prior. They got to stop drinking the Kool-Aid, seriously. All right. Um, and start composing a day of timeline. Uh, four to five months prior. Book the rehearsal and rehearsal dinner venues. Check on the wedding invitations. Select and order the cakes. Send your guest list to the host of your shower. Purchase wedding shoes and start dress fittings. Schedule hair and makeup artists. Choose your music. Three to four months or three months before, finalize the menu and flowers. Order favors if desired. Make a list of the people giving toasts. Finalize the readings. Purchase your undergarments. Purchase your undergarments. That's actually on the list. I don't remember sitting down with my groomsmen going, hey guys, you want to go underwear shopping? Huh? Huh? You didn't think that was part of the package, huh? Thanks for signing up. All right. Thanks for being part of my special day. You'll know what I'm wearing underneath my pants. <laughs> Finalize the order of the ceremony and the reception. Print menu cards, if you like, as well as programs. Purchase the rings. Send your event schedule to the vendors two months before. Uh, touch base with, again with all the vendors. Meet with the photographer. Review the playlist with the band or DJ. Send out the invitations. Sub- submit a news paper wedding announcement enjoy a bachelorette party and bachelor party uh one month before enter rsvps into your guest list database as if you had a database uh get your marriage license mail the rehearsal dinner invitations visit the dressmaker for which with luck your last dress fitting send as many final payments as you can confirm times for hair and makeup and all vendors email and print directions for drivers of transport vehicles assign seating purchase bridesmaids and groomsmen's gifts write vows if you're writing your own get your hair cut and colored if desired week of the wedding we're there the week of although you're probably in a coma at this point but week of the wedding reconfirm arrival times with vendors delegate small wedding day tasks send the timeline to the bridal party pick up your dress check in one last time with the photographer set aside checks for the vendors make an appointment for a manicure and a pedicure the day before the wedding you gotta splurge uh send the final guest list to the caterer and all the venues hosting your wedding related events break in your shoes (laughs) Where do, you, where do you go with your wedding shoes? Assemble and distribute the welcome baskets and pack for your honeymoon. Now you're ready to get married. All of that, 864 hours, 36 days. If you were to slice, if you were to slice all that time into eight-hour increments and create a full-time work schedule of 40 hours per week, you'd have to work five and a half months. 
Someone, some mother out there with her daughter about to get married just went, oh. that's what we're signing on to? That's almost half a year of working a full-time job. And most people do this outside of their actual full-time job. If you're married, consider for a moment that you didn't put all this energy into your wedding in order to convince your fiancé to love you. Think about this for a minute. Track with me. On your wedding, you are not hoping they would say yes on that day. You are celebrating the yes they already said yesterday. On the day of the wedding when Jesus comes, on on the wedding feast of the Lamb, those of us that are in Christ don't have to hope that he accepts us as his bride. He's coming for a bride. He's already accepted. All the energy, all the work, everything you put into your life now to exemplify, to live for, to to worship, to praise, to honor, to glorify Jesus will be so worth it when he comes. Everything you think you're missing out on because of maybe something that, that, that your heart longs for that Jesus would ask you not to do, but, but there's a tension in your heart with that. If you, everything you give up for the sake of Jesus, everything you stop doing for the sake of your faith in Christ, everything that you begin to do that's maybe uncomfortable or hard or difficult, everything you begin to trust in outside, everything you begin to trust in with Jesus that, that you wish you could trust in something outside of him because it just seems easier, all of it makes sense on that day. Nobody gets to their wedding day on the day of their wedding, when they're standing with that person and nobody says, I spent too much time on this. This wasn't, this wasn't really a big deal. I didn't need to spend 864 hours on this. Nobody says that. Why? Because every single moment spent was worth it when your friends and your family and the people you care about are celebrating with you the yes that was already given, the commitment that was already made, the dedication that was already promised. The same will be true for us on the day that Jesus comes. As our worship team begins to make their way to the stage for one final song, I want you to anticipate the coming of Christ. He's coming for us, church. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can hinder him. Nothing can get in the way between him and his church. Do you remember the words? In Christ, we win. In Christ, we win. In Christ, we win. Never leaves, never forsakes. Always with us. Nothing can stop him. Everyone's invited. That's Jesus. That's who's coming back to get us. Now, if you're in this room and you don't belong to Jesus, there's a really easy way to fix that. As we begin to sing, I just want you to allow God to speak to your heart and you decide in yourself and you say, you know what? Maybe I've lived this life a little, a little differently than I'm supposed to. Maybe you've had an opinion of God, of, of Jesus that's inaccurate. You need him. You need him. And he has made himself available to you. And someday he's coming back for those that call upon his name. Today you could call upon his name. And the yes that was said today will be your guarantee that you'll go back with him when he comes back at the end of time. Let's just pray. Would you guys stand? We're going to sing and we're going to celebrate who this King Jesus is.
This should be a time of celebration right now as we sing, as we bring uh, our service here to a close. I want you just to allow everything that we've talked about today, that God is faithful, all the things that he's shared, all the things that we've shared today, allow this song, allow this time for you to worship and to exclaim to God, God, I do love you. You are an amazing husband. You're an amazing God. And just ask him, God, make me the bride that you desire me to be. He's our God. He's our King. If you call our verse in Ephesians that discuss Jesus giving himself up for the church, making us holy and cleansing us, did you catch how he does that? I just want to show you Ephesians 5 once again. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Do you see it? We're cleansed through the washing of the word of God. The Bible is the love letter from our heavenly father who loves us more than anything we could ever dare dream. To be loved like this is reckless abandon. It's really unheard of. So if you want to know Jesus, if you want to know him more intimately, just like you would want to know a spouse, just like you would want to know someone that you love dearly, anyone that you want to know, he has written us a letter that tells us all about him. It also tells you about you. And it tells the love story of how we are reunited with our king. If you don't belong to Jesus, now is a great time to allow him to search your heart and take hold of whatever is tripping you up from giving yourself to him. You see, I'm not afraid to die. In fact, as weird as it sounds, I'm looking forward to it. Philippians 3.20 says this. It says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. We spend so much time eagerly trying to put our lives together here. And here in Philippians, Paul tells us, let's be eager about our going home. Let's do all the preparations Just make our lives right with Christ. And all that is is one decision to say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Whatever comes my way, I'm going to follow you. Whatever happens, I'm going to trust you. That's all you're saying. You're not saying you're going to be perfect. He was perfect for you. You're not saying you're going to be good all the time. God was good for you. What you are saying is, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to believe you at your word. That's who we have in King Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that every person in this room would understand exactly what it means that when you come back, you are going to come for people that have already given their lives to you. God, we have nothing to worry about because in Christ, we win. God, if anyone is in this room still and God that hasn't made a choice to follow you, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to their hearts this next week and just re- reveal to them how powerful that decision you made to come and, and, and die on a cross really was. That God, we would, that they would come to an understanding of that, come to grips with that, and that they would give you, they would give you their lives, Jesus. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.